If you hear Lush and Hora, it's best to get up and leave. If it is forbidden to say, it is also forbidden to believe. If Lush and Hora is relevant, suspecting it is smart, but that is not a license to harbor hatred in your heart. Okay, so uh, this week I'll be completing Kalal Vav from Halacha Hey to Halacha Yud Bet, so from Halacha 5 to 12. And... Um, as a warning, this should this, there's a lot of material here, so it might be a relatively long podcast. Um, okay, so beginning with Halacha Hay in Klal Vav. So Halacha Hay says, as was said previously, um, it is usher, it's prohibited to go to a particular place in order to listen in order to listen to Lashon Hora. Um, however, if you join a group. Um, that's originally gathered for a permissible purpose, say everybody's eating a meal together, that would be something that's permissible. You go to eat that meal with them. And um, all of a sudden, then that discussion starts turning, the discussion at the meal starts turning to Lush and Hora. Um, so what should you do? What are steps that you can take in that instance? So basically, you go to a group, you don't think they're talking Lush and Hora, and then all of a sudden, the topic turns to, uh, you know, start talking negatively about people. Um, start speaking Lush and Hora about people. What are you supposed to do as one of the participants of that group? So first, first things first, the Chavitz Chaim says you should rebuke them if possible. Um, you should tell them to stop speaking Lush and Hora. Um, now he says, what happens if you tell them to speak Lush and if you tell them to stop speaking Lush and Hora and instead of listening to your rebuke, they double down and they say, Oh, you think you know what I'm saying isn't you know is is, is wrong? Just get let, let me tell you uh, you know what this guy did. What's even worse, and and they'll basically keep adding on and on to their lush and hora. So he said sometimes you have to be very cognizant of if you rebuke someone, you have to be pretty sure that it's either going to be effective or not effective. But if it's going to have the reverse effect that by you rebuking them, they're going to double down on their lush and hora and even speak worse about that person then you should certainly refrain from rebuking them. So then what should you do? He says, um, ideally you should, so, so after you rebuke them and, or after you at least uh, co- contemplate rebuking them, if you decide that's not going to work, then you should try to leave the group. So if you're just in a group of people and it's easy to leave, then you should just get out of there. You shouldn't, you shouldn't involve yourself in listening. What about if that's not practical? He says in that example that I said of everyone's eating a meal together. What are you going to do? Leave right in the middle of the meal? Um, sometimes it's just not practical to leave to leave the group. So he says at that point you should put fingers in your ears. Um, he said it's better to you know make some kind of disgusted face or put fingers in your ears or just do something that looks so obvious how how unhappy you are about this. Now what happens? If you're like, come on, am I really going to put fingers in my ears and, and make myself look like I'm a, a toddler um, and, and make myself look that, you know, embarrass myself to that extent? So he said, if you're very worried about embarrassing yourself um, and you think you'll be ridiculed for leaving, then you should do a few different things. So instead of you, you should mentally prepare not to accept the Lush and Hora as true. So you should try to sort of zone out and not, not mentally think that this Lush and Hora is true. Like, that, that say whatever's being said at this meal or whatever be, being said with this group, I'm going to assume it's not true. Then, um, then you also should not be able to benefit from the Lush and Hora and you shouldn't show that you enjoy the Lush and Hora in any way. So you shouldn't try to make any kind of, you know, expressions of, oh my goodness, this guy did that, you know, and then really get into it. Um, you, you, should, you should be just totally deadpan, make no facial expressions whatsoever, or even make a disgusted face um, that they're speaking Lush and Hora. But you shouldn't add in and contribute to their Lush and Hora, even by just your body, you know, your, 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 um, the, 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 the way that you're reacting to what's being spoken about your body language. Um, and so then the Chafetz Chaim says, you know, be, be sure that while you should rebuke them, if you realize that rebuking them will lead to them doubling down on their Lush and Hora, certainly don't rebuke them. Um, the, so, so however, the Rabbeinu Yonah says that if they will listen to your rebuke, or even if they will ignore your rebuke, then it's a great mitzvah to rebuke them. Um, the only time you should not rebuke them is if you think by rebuking them, they'll double down on their Lush and Hora. But even if they'll ignore 
your rebuke, that's still, you should still rebuke them. The only time you shouldn't rebuke them is if they'll double down and start talking even more Lush and Hora. Um, and then, um, the Gemara and Brachot says, uh, so, so why is it that you, you know, ideally, like I said, you should really leave the group. You should get up and, and leave. Um, if they're speaking Lush and Hora, uh, or ideally you should, you should rebuke them, but if you can't rebuke them, then you should try to leave or put fingers in your ears or something like that. So, however, sometimes that isn't practical because you're going to be embarrassed so badly by looking like a toddler, by leaving or by putting, you know, a fingers in your ears or something like that. So, um, the Gemara in Barachot says that you're permitted to violate a, um, a mitzvah durabanan for kavod habrios, for the, for human dignity. So basically, um, it's a mitzvah, dura, it's only, it's only a violation of a mitzvah durabanan to listen to Lashon Hara and not believe it and not take any enjoyment from it. Um, so at that point, then kavod habrios, basically your own kavod, your own honor of, you know, you would embarrass yourself so badly by putting fingers in your ears that you're, it's, it's, uh, you know, if, if, you cannot, if it's not possible for you to stand the humiliation of either leaving the group or putting fingers in your ears, then the Chafetz Chaim says it's permissible to stay at that table without doing any of those things as long as you don't enjoy the Lush and Hora that's being spoken and you don't believe that it's true. Um, um, however, the Chafetz Chaim is very clear. He says uh, a real tzaddik, a real righteous person, um, follows the dictum that it's better to be thought of as a fool all the days of your life than be a Russia, than be an evil person even for one moment. So basically it's better, the Chafetz Chaim says, ideally you really should walk away or you really should put fingers in your ears or do something that would totally embarrass yourself because as I said, it's better to look like a fool your entire life than to be a Russia for a second. Um, and uh, however, though, he realizes that that's not always possible, that people aren't always up to that level of, you know, being a... a of being willing to, to be at the, you know, the, the end of jokes for all time, you know, oh, you, they, they'll always remember you as that person that put fingers in their ears when they started hearing any kind of Lush and Hora. If you're not willing to, um, to, you know, bear that, that amount of embarrassment, then you're able to, like I said, sit there and uh, as long as you don't believe it and you don't kind of add in to your excitement about hearing this Lush and Hora. So there are, um, two examples that the Chavetz Chaim gives of where, um, is of where basically if you have no other option, if you're sort of stuck there, you're, and as long as you're not benefiting, you're allowed to, um, you're allowed to, you know, experience some kind of sin. However, he says, if you, that, that does not, that does not apply if you have another choice or if you are benefiting. So a couple examples here. So the Gemara in Bava Batra says that a person's called a Russia if um, if he walks by women doing laundry and there's an alternate route. So if there's an alternate route, he should take that route because that person will probably be tempted to um, to look at those women doing laundry in a, in, a, in a lustful way. And so if there was an alternate route and he, Davka, chose this, this specific route because he knows he'll be able to see these women doing their laundry there, then he's called a wicked person. Um, and even without an alternate route, so if there's no alternate route, he has to walk by this route that he'll see women doing their laundry there, then he shouldn't, um, he should look away, uh, the Chavetz Chaim says. Um, and a different example where you should stay, you know, where you should ideally find another route or um, if you can't find another route, you should do everything you possible not to enjoy it. Another example is in Pesachim. Um, that talks about if you're walking by, if you have two different routes, and one of the routes you know you're going to walk by a place that has a vote of Zara, and there's going to be music being played there, and there's going to be beautiful, you know, smells of all the incense that they burn to their idols. Um, you should, if you, you have to take an alternate route if possible. Now, what about if there is no alternate route? So the same thing applies. Um, you can take that route, however, the Chavetz Chaim says that the Gemara talks about you should stuff your nose um, and you should, you know, try to do as much as you can not to smell the beautiful fragrances that they're burning to the, to their idol worships, uh, to, to, to their idols. And, um, and also, you know, so that, so basically these two examples, either walking specifically by the route that, um, 
that has, you know, the women doing their laundry or walking by the route that has the beautiful smells from uh, idol worship. In both of those instances, as I said, if there's an alternate route, you have to take it. If there's no alternate choice, then you have to do everything possible not to enjoy it. So, so too, if you're in a group that's speaking Lashon Hora, ideally, if there's a different group you could join or not join the group at all, that's what you should do. However, if you have to join this group for some reason, then you should do everything possible not to enjoy it. Okay. Um, all right. And also he says that you shouldn't flatter the sinners by expressing your approval of hearing their Lush and Hora. So as I mentioned, you have to be totally stone cold in your facial expressions when you hear Lush and Hora, because otherwise, if you're excited about it, then that will even encourage them to continue to speak Lush and Hora. Um, and, you know, as I said in the last podcast, don't don't underestimate your power as the listener um, uh, as to, you know, how much power you have in influencing the conversation as the listener. If you if you look disgusted as the listener and and, you know, your face, your, your facial expressions are just totally not interested in the Lush and Hora, it's very likely the speaker then will lose interest in speaking it to you. OK, so moving to Alaka Vav. Uh, the sixth halacha in Klal Vav. So um, being in a group that speaks Lush and Hora is only permissible um, if that group started out innocent and then eventually turned to speaking Lush and Hora. So as I said, maybe you're joining a meal that you sound, that seemed perfectly fine and then all of a sudden halfway through the meal they turned to the topics of Lush and Hora. And at that point in time, it's very difficult to leave. So in that instance, you would be able to possibly still stay there, you know, but you have to not listen. You have to be, have a, you know, a stone cold face, uh, et cetera, like I spoke about in the, in the fifth halacha. But in the sixth halacha, it says if they, if at the time you join the group, they already started on their Lush and Hora, then you can't even join the group. So don't join the group unless if they're talking about permissible things at that moment. But if they're already speaking Lush and Hora at the time you join the group, then it's absolutely prohibited to join in with them. Um, and if you know that this group is prone to speaking Lush and Hora, even if when you get there, they're not speaking Lush and Hora, if you know, if you've been around this group before and you know that the topic always turns to topics of, of Lush and Hora, then you shouldn't join them. Um, and as I said, even that, you know, this is a case where in both of these cases, if the group is already speaking Lush and Hora, or if you know they're so prone to speaking Lush and Hora, it's almost inevitable, then as I said, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't join them. And it's like the case of the Vodazara or the women doing laundry, that if you have sort of an alternate choice, you, you had an alternate route in that instance or here, you don't necessarily have to join this group. Um, and you know, as a fact, you're going to, you know, um, participate in the sin of listening to Lush and Hora, then it's absolutely prohibited for you to join this group if you know it will inevitably lead to Lush and Hora or if, already, if, or if it already did lead to Lush and Hora. It's only permissible to be with a group if they're not speaking Lush and Hora, then it turns to Lush and Hora. You don't necessarily have to leave, like I said, as long as you don't believe it and you have no facial expressions uh, of excitement and you don't benefit from it. Um, and the Chavetz Chaim says, if God forbid a person intends to join a group in order to hear Lashon Hora, then Hashem will record that person as a Baal Lashon Hora. And as I said, even if that person himself does not speak Lashon Hora ever in that group, just by being associated with that group and by enjoying listening to the Lashon Hora that's being spoken, that person is recorded as a person that continuously speaks Lashon Hora, as a Baal Lashon Hora, a master of, of evil speech. So Rabbi Eliezer the Great told his son not to associate with groups of people that are known to denigrate Jews. Um, and so basically the point here being is that you shouldn't put yourself in situations that will inevitably lead to sin. Um, so if you know that joining a group that's already speaking Lush and Hora will inevitably lead to the sin of you listening to the Lush and Hora and possibly believing it, you shouldn't even join that group to begin with. Um, you should ideally leave the group if nothing is stopping you. Uh, his proof for why you should leave is a Gemara in Ketubot that says um, when Jewish, if Jewish women are you know, held captive by non-Jewish uh, masters and then those non-Jewish masters let, um, you know, let them free, if the Jewish, women, uh, the Jewish women are commanded, they have to leave their non-Jewish masters. If they, um, if they stay there, basically uh, not against their will, they're staying there optionally on their own, you know, by their own choice, 
then um, they're criticized. They are, in fact, not able to uh, co- go back to their to their husbands after that if they decide to stay with their captives. Um, and so too, the Chavetz Chaim says with Lashon Hora, that if you're a group with your, if you're with a group of people that are speaking Lashon Hora, and you know, it, you know, it's totally optional. You could definitely leave this group that's speaking Lashon Hora, and you decide, you you decide not to leave them. Then that's just like those Jewish women that decided not to leave their captives, even though they were let free. So if you know it's an option to leave the group, and you decide not to leave the group, then that would be considered a sin. Okay, moving to Alacha Zion. The Torah forbids believing a story that you know the facts are true, but those facts could be interpreted in many different ways, yet the speaker that's speaking them to you chooses to judge that person unfairly. Um, So nonetheless, in that case, the listener has to judge um, those facts in a favorable way. Um, so as I, you know, like the classic example is if you see someone driving on Shabbat, you know, you have to, uh, and the person that tells the story says, you know, that, can you believe this person would violate the Shabbat? Isn't that surprising? Um, however, what you're supposed to say, um, you know, what you're supposed to think is, well, maybe they had some kind of medical emergency and, and they had to be driving on Shabbat. Um, so, uh, that's how you should interpret it. So even if the speaker himself is telling the story in a way that sounds very derogatory toward the person that was possibly sinning, you as the listener have to interpret these facts differently. Even if you know those facts are absolutely true, you have to interpret those facts in a favorable way. Um, Okay, an example of this is Yeravam, um, when he... Yeravam was told that Amos prophesied that uh, Yeravam would end up dying by the sword. And Yeravam... Um, is counted among the righteous kings of Yehuda because he refused to believe that either he refused to believe that Amos actually prophesied that Yeravam would would die by sword, or if Yeravam, or if Amos actually prophesied it, then it must have been God's message. So Yeravam didn't um, basically. So why is why is Yeravam counted among the righteous kings of Yehuda? The Chafetz Chaim ex- explains that's because he uh, absolutely refused to you know take the facts that Amos prophesied that he would die by sword. Um, he he refused to take those facts either as true or he refused to you know take those facts as uh, in a negative light. He didn't. He didn't hate Amos in his heart because he heard that. He recognized that Amos, that, that the message of Amos, must have been coming as a direct godly message, um, and uh, and because of that, for that for that reason, for the you know because because Yeravam judged Amos favorably there, um, Yeravam is counted among the righteous kings of Yehuda. Okay, another example here. So when Doeg spoke Lush and Hora to Shaul. To Shaul Amalek, King King Shaul, um, when he told when he told Shaul that he saw David go to the city of Nob, and the Kohen uh, Achimelech gave him food and even gave him a sword, uh, gave him the sword of Goliath, and um, so both of these people are considered to have violated the sin of Lashon Hora. Doeg he violated Lashon Hora because he spoke. Lashon Hora, and even though, by the way, these facts were 100% true, right? Lashon Hora, as mentioned many, many times, Lashon Hora, by definition, is true. So Doeg, even though it was absolutely true that David did go to the city of Nob, and Achimelech did, in fact, help him, nonetheless, Doeg um, interpreted that, you know, Doeg was speaking the truth in saying that, nonetheless, he's the paradigm of a Baal Lashon Hora, um, because he interpreted those facts in a negative way, basically, that David was trying to revolt against Shaul. And Shaul also is the paradigm of someone who accepts Lashon Hora, which is also a sin. And why, so, so Shaul basically heard what, what Doeg said, that David was, you know, that, that Achimelech was helping out David by giving him food and even giving him a sword. And Shaul wrongly interpreted these facts as negatively against David that, oh, David must be plotting his, his scheme against me. And, and Achimelech is helping him do that. Um, so Shaul, because Shaul judged David unfairly, um, because he thought that, uh, that Achimelech's kindness toward David by giving him food and a sword was an attempt to overthrow his monarchy. However, in truth, while it was true Achimelech did help out David, uh, Achimelech had no idea 
that didn't didn't know about this conflict between David and and Shaul, and he was just trying to help David. Um, so you know there was nothing nefarious about Ahimelech's plan in helping David. He wasn't trying to overthrow King Shaul. Nonetheless, Shaul misinterpreted um, Ahimelech's actions because he listened to Doeg, and that just shows you the sort of the the terrible consequences of listening to. Um, you know, to Lashnahora, because the end of the story is very tragic, where Doeg ends up killing all of the Kohanim uh, in the city of Nob uh, because of this Lashnahora that he spoke. Okay, so moving to the Halacha, um, halacha 8, uh, Chet. So as the listener, you must judge, you know, as I said, you must judge a normal Jew favorably. So Kovachomer, all the more so, you have to judge a Yerei Elohim, a God-fearing person, um, even in a more favorable manner than a normal Jew. So he gives a, a classic example here of an example where we might trip up in this, in this way, and we may judge a very wise Torah sage um, in a way that is unfair. So what is this instance? So if a person loses a case in front of Beitin, uh, very oftentimes that the loser um, will uh, will lay out his argument to his friend and say, you know, look at this, look at all these facts, look at all these arguments that I have on my side. It's obvious that I'm innocent and Beitin was just blatantly wrong. And not only was Beitin wrong, you know, had I been in front of a wiser court, if I didn't have those those dumb judges that I had, if I had smarter judges, they would have obviously seen the truth and judged in my favor. So what's the problem here? If the friend goes on to actually agree with the loser and agree with the loser and say, you know what, you shouldn't have lost. Uh, Baston must have been wrong. And um, and you know what, on top of that, the rabbis that, that were ruling in, in, in this court must lack all intelligence. Um, that would be a terrible sin, the Chavetz Chaim says, for this friend to agree with the loser that the Beistin was wrong and the rabbis were, you know, not smart at all. Instead, what the friend should have done is the friend should have said, you know what, I, I, um, first of all, he, he, even, even if these were very convincing arguments, maybe it was possible that, uh, that this person hadn't have, didn't give all those arguments when he was in front of Baston. It might have been he only thought of these arguments once he was already, once he already lost. So maybe that's what you should assume, and that's why Baston didn't give him the right ruling. You should also, if you're this person that, you know, if you're this friend that, um, that and, and you hear the loser of Baston coming to complain to you, you should try to convince your friend that Baston must have been right. And, um, or they had, you know, or, or basically if they weren't right, you must assume that, you know, Hashem sort of wanted it to be ruled this way for some reason or another, Hashem decided that you should lose the case, even though the facts say that you really should win it. Um, and so what happens though, if you're just, if you're this friend and you're just positive that, uh, that your, your buddy got the short end of the stick and really should have won the case and he lost it terribly unfairly. What should you do? So instead of agreeing with your friend that, you know, that, yeah, you really should have won the case, instead of doing that, what you should do instead is this, this person should have gone directly to the Baton and asked, you know, did you make a mistake here? Maybe you made a mistake and ask for clarification. And very oftentimes the Baston will explain, you know, this is really what we were thinking. You didn't, you, you didn't realize that this was also a part of uh, the case here. And, and this is why we ruled this way. Uh, the Chavetz Chaim also says, maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe it's true that the Baston actually ruled incorrectly. And by going directly to the Baston, the Baston may able to, you know, may, able, may be able to actually retract um, the ruling that they had. So instead of just uh, sort of agreeing with your friend and letting him letting him commiserate with you and, and spreading lush and horror by saying you know those, those who do they think they are on on the Baston even though they're extremely wise people uh, you know you're basically totally trashing them as I said you have to judge Yirael Okim very favorably and presumably all the people on Baston are Yirael Okim um, so by trashing them and saying oh they they must have not have an ounce of brain cells uh, they're they're you know totally uh, have no brain whatsoever to, to come up with, you know, and, and rule against you. Um, so that would be prohibited, as I said. And instead, you should, first of all, 
say, maybe I just don't know all the facts and try to convince your friend the Baston was right. And, and uh, you also could go to the Baston directly and see if they made a mistake or ask for clarification. Okay, so moving to Halacha 9, Tet. So anything forbidden um, for the speaker to say is also forbidden for the listener to believe. So that's a very fundamental principle in the halachas of Lashon Hora about believing. So how am I supposed to know what kind of information I'm able to believe? Basically, the general rule is anything that the speaker can't say, the listener can't believe. That simple. Okay, so this includes like all varieties of Lashon Hora that I've spoken about on prior podcasts. Lashon Hora about people with bad midos, Lashon Hora about, you know, people that have sinned, Lashon Hora about something bad that his family did, Lashon Hora about somebody's, you know, checkered past, et cetera, et cetera. All those examples would be something that it'd be prohibited to speak that kind of Lashon Hora, and so too it's forbidden to listen and accept that Lashon Hora is true. Um, so uh, he also, the Chavetz Chaim says, um, someone with a disgraced family or sins in their past, they themselves don't deserve any kind of disgrace. Why is that? Because um, there's a concept in halacha that you're not punished for the sins of your father. And also a Baal Teshuva stands in a place that a Tzadik Gamor couldn't stand. Um, so both of those categories of people don't even deserve disgrace to begin with. So you certainly, certainly shouldn't believe anything that's said in that respect. Um, and however, so sometimes you'll see instances where the speaker may say something for a toeles, for a constructive purpose, a permissible purpose, but nonetheless, the listener won't recognize that it was a permissible purpose and will accept what this person's saying at face value and will end up accepting it in a negative, well, you know, will accept it in a negative way, won't accept it just to help them, but they'll sort of look at that person, um, they'll look at the, the person that the Lashon Hora is being spoken about, the subject of the Lashon Hora, and view them very negatively. Um, and that would be, like I said, a terrible sin to actually believe and, and hold harbor hatred in your heart against, um, against someone that Lashon Hora was spoken about. Okay, so moving to Halacha Yud, the 10th Halacha. So a listener cannot believe Lashon Hora. However, you, you are allowed to suspect that maybe it's true, and then you can take steps to, to protect yourself. Um, but like I said, you cannot look down on the victim. Um, so it's actually considered, the Chavetz Chaim says, it's actually considered a very good and positive thing to take steps to protect yourself. The Gemara in Nida says there was a mass grave for all of those killed by Gedalia. Yet, Gedalia himself didn't kill anybody. Um, why would there be a mass grave? You know, why, why would it say that he killed a bunch of people that you needed a mass grave? Gedalia himself was murdered. Why, why would he be considered someone that was killed? So uh, the Chavetz Chaim explains that there was, um, he was told about a threat of his own assassination. And the assassination... <laughs> the um, the assassination of you know all of his people, and he should have taken that threat more seriously, and he should have taken steps to prevent his assassination. So, and basically, the Chavetz Chaim explains that there was sort of this domino effect that had he, um, you know, that once he was assassinated, then basically all the people around him were also murdered, and all of those people were you know buried in the mass grave. But basically, it's sort of blaming Gedalia a little bit that Gedalia was warned of his impending death and he should have taken steps to prevent that from happening. And because he didn't take steps, logical and smart steps to prevent that from happening, it's as if he almost killed those people that were killed as a result of his own death. Um, very fascinating and, and harsh criticism of Gedalia that Gedalia really should have been more proactive in preventing something terrible from happening. Uh, a different story here. So the men of Galil came to Rabbi Tarfon and, um, these and Rabbi Tarfon uh, refused to hide these men because the Roman government suspected that these men were, were murderers. Um, so why did he refuse? And, and instead of refusing, so he refused to hide them. However, he said, "You know, go find, um, go go find places to hide on your own. Hide yourself." So um, basically, Rabbi Tar well, the the commentaries explain here that had. Rabbi Tarfon actually hid them, then the Roman government would have killed Rabbi Tarfon. Um, so he was merely just sort of protecting his own interest by saying, you know what, hide yourself. I'm not going to get involved in hiding you because if I was involved in hiding you, then, um, 
then you know I would I'd be harmed by it uh, because the Roman government would come after me if I was if I was sort of aiding and abetting uh, hiding you guys. So um, there's one interpretation here that a person um, should not have you know that that uh, that basically had it not been for the Roman government threatening to kill Rabbi Tarfon if Rabbi Tarfon helped these helped these men that were suspected of murder, then. Um, yeah, had, had the Roman government uh, had the Roman government not made that threat, then Rabbi Tarfon would have hid them. It was only because Rabbi Tarfon uh, knew of the threat of his own life if he helped them that he wouldn't have that that he decided to say hide yourself. However, it's very notable that Rabbi Tarfon didn't turn these men in. Rabbi Tarfon didn't flat out believe the Lush and Hora. He just the the Lush and Hora that they were murderers. He just even on the suspicion that it was true, he said, "You know what? Hide yourself." Um, however, the the commentaries explain that. If he didn't hide it, that that if it wasn't for the own th- the the threat on his own life from the from the Roman government, that if he was aiding and abetting these men, they would come after him. He would have helped them. Um, so it just goes to show you the extent that even if a person is a suspected murderer, uh, Rabbi Tarfon would have helped them if it weren't for the Roman government with their threat that they would hurt Rabbi Tarfon in turn. Okay, so if a person follows mitzvot, then you're obligated to do a bunch of different things for them. You know, for example, return their lost objects, save them from captors, et cetera, et cetera. And simply hearing Lush and Hora about them, that would disqualify them from getting those special privileges of returning their lost objects or saving them from captors. Um, that just hearing Lush and Hora about them is insufficient. Um, and you, you have to believe that it's, it's false. Um, so even if you hear Lush and Hora, that would actually disqualify them from you know, from uh, these special privileges of, you know, returning our lost objects or saving them from captors. Um, just hearing Lush and Hora about it is, insuff- is an insufficient disqualification. The Gemara in Gittin proves this point. So there was a man that sold himself to a group of cannibals. And then once he sold himself to the cannibals, he realized he made a grave mistake because he would be eaten. <laughs> and uh, he wanted to be ransomed back. So Rabbi Amma was actually going to ransom him back. However, um, the sages came to Rabbi Amma and said, you know what, don't ransom him back because um, there's testimony in Beitin that he defiantly ate non-kosher meat. Basically, there was kosher meat and non-kosher meat in front of him, and he specifically chose the non-kosher meat just to sort of defiantly go against halacha and eat the non-kosher meat. So because they saw him, because this was like proven in Beitin that he did that, then um, that put him in the category of someone that is not deserving of being saved from captors. But the point being is that basically Rebbe Amma would have saved this person um, if it was only sort of a rumor. And Rebbe Amma says, you know what, maybe the reason why he ate meat, why he ate non-kosher meat is just so the Yetzirah got the best of him. He had no alternatives. He was hungry. And they say, no, this was a proven fact in Beitin. Um, so then he does not ransom them back does not ransom this man back. But the point being is that if this was not proven, in, if the fact that he you know, defiantly ate non-kosher was not proven in Bastin, it was just a rumor, Rabbi Amma would have actually saved him. So the, the point there being is that um, just because you hear Lush and Hora about someone that may disqualify them from getting special privileges, that's not sufficient to, you know, to, to not give them those privileges, like saving them from captors. Okay, so... Um, you are only allowed to believe Lashon Hora if that sin was previously established, but you're not allowed to believe a worse sin. So just because you hear that someone ate treif, that does not give you license to believe that they committed adultery. So if you hear someone eat ate treif, and, and, sorry, if it's proven that, that someone eats treif all the time, it's a proven fact, and you hear Lashon Hora that they ate treif again, you're allowed to believe that. However, if you hear Lush and Hora that that same person committed adultery, you're not allowed to believe that because that's even sort of a worse sin than eating treif. Um, the Chavetz Chaim says there's this, you know, famous concept of v'yahavta l'racha kamocha, that you should love your fellow like yourself. What does that mean? It means that if you hear Lush and Hora, um, then you're allowed to suspect that it's true in order to protect yourself. And you're also allowed, he says, when does this concept of v'yahavta l'racha kamocha come in? It comes in when, if you hear Lashon Hora, you're allowed to even protect others as if they were yourself. So as I gave that story about, um, 
about Gedalia when Gedalia heard of sort of the threat and the assassination against him, he should have warned his people that there were other people coming after him. Um, and because it didn't warn him, they didn't warn others. It was sort of a lack of Yahavta Laracha Kamocha. Okay, moving to Halacha 11, Yod Aleph. So you're, while you are allowed to suspect that the Lashon Hora is possibly true, and you're able to protect yourself accordingly, that does not give you a license to be proactive and cause that person harm or humiliation. So how does this work? And you're not even allowed to hate this person privately in your heart. Um, and like I said, so you're in, and also on top of that, you're not able to free yourself while you are allowed to take steps to prevent yourself from being harmed further. You're not able to free yourself from obligations that you owe that person. So for example, um, they, let's say you hear Lush and Hora about, you know, someone that stole from you, you're, you're an employer and you hear Lush and Hora that one of your employees was stealing from you. You are, you are not allowed to withhold wages that are, that are due to them um, because just because you hear Lush and Hora that they spoke from, the, that they stole from you, you, that has to be a proven fact before you can withhold their wages. Okay, there's a story here. Um, so Reb Aron Rosky uh, became an outcast because of Lush and Hora that was spoken against him. And as a result, the city that Rav Aron Rosky lived in um, refused to give him an aliyah to the Torah. So the Maharik uh, sharply criticized the people of that city for believing Lashon Hora. And he said that that city should beg for mercy. And what they did by refusing to give him, um, you know, uh, aliyahs is disgusting in the eyes of Hashem and their punishment will be extremely severe. And he says, believing Lashon Hora is even worse than adultery. Why is that? Because an adulterous person is strangled, but they keep their olam haba. However, someone that embarrasses someone publicly, like by refusing to give them aliyahs, um, they lose their chilek and olam haba. So therefore, uh, the, the maharik says it's even worse to publicly embarrass someone because you hear Lashon Hora. Um, and as I said, it's just being suspicious about Lashon Hora and protecting yourself is not at all a license to do something harmful to the victim. And as I already mentioned, that story of Rabbi Tarfon, when he suspected that those people were murderers, um, and he, um, he basically, the only reason why he didn't hide them himself is because the Roman government would have killed him for helping. But if it wasn't for the Roman government threatening to kill him, then he would have helped. Also, um, Rabbi Tarfon, he didn't turn those people in. He could have turned them in. Um, but turning them in would have been ex an example of believing Lashon Hora and acting on it. So as I said, you are absolutely, while you are able to protect yourself from um, from the results of Lashon Hora, from, from the possibility that Lashon Hora is true, you're absolutely prohibited from acting on it. So this would be, this is a good example of exactly where that line is drawn. So Rabbi Tarfon, he protected himself by not, directly hiding these people because if he hid them then his own throat would be on the line however on the, on the other hand he didn't act on actually actively harming these people just because of the lashon hora so he didn't turn them into authority he didn't turn the people that were suspected of murder into the authorities um, so he never acted on the lashon hora that was heard about them he merely protected himself by not hiding them himself. He just sort of played a passive role. Say, say He said, I'm not going to help you because, you know, I might get killed for it. However, and that was protecting himself. However, he also didn't turn them in. He said, you can, you can hide yourself and not turning them in is proof that you shouldn't, you know, take active steps to, uh, to, to harm those, those people that are suspected of doing something wrong. So, however, the Chavetz Chaim says, due to our many sins, um, if Lashon Hora, even if Lashon Hora is true, very oftentimes the actual halacha is more mekel than our own personal vengeance. So, very oftentimes, that even if the Lashon Hora is true, and as I said, we should never believe Lashon Hora is true until it's actually proven, but even if the Lashon Hora is true, very often the halacha is, um, is much more lenient than our own personal vendettas and vengeance that we're going to have against that person. Um, and, uh, so if your enemies, the famous Pasuk in the Torah that says, if your enemy's donkey is struggling under a load, you should certainly help that donkey. The Gemara in Pesachim talks about that and says, um, only you are able to hate that person because you yourself saw the immoral act that that person did. 
So as I said, this person is the enemy because you hate them. Your enemy because you hate them, but you're only allowed to hate them because you yourself saw a terrible sin that that person did. However, the Chavetz Chaim says it's absolutely prohibited for the rest of the community to believe, to, to, to hear you and believe you um, about what this person did. So they, so they should not hate him. The only person that's allowed to hate him is only the person that saw it directly. Another example here. So someone um, spreads to the community that a certain poor person that gets tzedakah money actually isn't really that poor. And he's only getting tzedakah money in order to uh, basically get himself some free cash, but he's not actually poor. So as a result of this Lushen Hora that of someone saying, you know what, this poor person isn't really poor, people stop giving him tzedakah. The Chavetz Chaim says it's a terrible sin. The Chavetz Chaim says by stopping to give that, by stopping, you know, by refusing to give that person tzedakah anymore, you're believing this Lush and Hora report that this person isn't really poor without any proof. So you are able to take steps and kind of investigate, wait, is this person actually, you know, poor? Are they who they say they are? But in the meantime, you certainly shouldn't stop giving them, uh, giving them tzedakah money. The Gemara in Bava Batra says that if a man is poor, you should first give him money and then investigate later whether his claim that he's poor is true or not. Um, so the, the Chavetz Chaim says, if someone's established as a poor person in the community, you certainly cannot stop giving them, giving money to them based on the Lashon Hora you heard that they're not really poor. Uh, the Gemara in Mishle says that by stopping to support a poor, poor person, you're considered a thief. Um, and so that would be an example here of basically if you just hear a report that they're you know, that, that he's not actually poor and you trust that report and you stop giving that person tzedakah, that's a terrible, it's a terrible sin uh, until that, that fact is actually proven true. Okay, moving to the last halacha, halacha yud bet 12. So if you wrongly believe Lash and Hora, what are you supposed to do if you realize you made a mistake? So you're able to retroactively sort of believe that it wasn't true and do teshuva and promise not to believe a false report again. And then you've basically sort of retroactively fixed the problem of your, your initial sin of believing the Lashon Hora. An example of this, um, a very fascinating case. So what if there was a single witness, a single witness saw um, that a that someone's wife was committing adultery and told the husband that that person, that, that, that his wife was committing adultery. Um, so at first... So, so, so the two options are either that man is able to not believe that witness and say, you didn't really see it and stay with his wife, or he believes the witness and he leaves the wife. So what happens then? The Chavetz Chaim says, what about at first this man, the husband believes the witness and separates from his wife, but then has a change of heart and says, you know what? I actually don't believe the witness. He was probably lying and I don't believe him. And, um, so then what is he able to go back to his wife? And he says, yes, he actually, the Chavetz Chaim says, yes, he actually is able to remarry because you're able to sort of retroactively um, do teshuva on believing a, on believing Lashon Hora. So he was able to sort of, um, he was able, even though he first believed the witness, he's able to no longer believe the witness and remarry his wife. Um, however, the Chavetz Chaim says, what happens if you told somebody else about the Lashon Hora that you first believed? Um, then the Chavetz Chaim says, before you can do, to sh- before you can, um, you know, uh, retroactively not believe it, you have to first ask forgiveness from the victim. You have to go to the victim and say, you know, I've spread this lush and horror about you. I'm, I feel so bad. I, 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 I want to take that back. And you have to get, um, you know, kapara from the victim. And then you have to convince everybody that you told, the, you know, everyone that you told the lush and horror to, you have to tell them not to believe it anymore. And anybody that they spread it to, you have to go to them also. So you can see how difficult that process really is. Okay, so to recap all that I spoke about, I said it was a jam-packed podcast here. So um, this is Kalal Vav and uh, from from Halacha Hay to uh, Yud Bet. Okay, so starting with Halacha Hay, uh, as I mentioned here that the Halacha Hay talks about that um, it's forbidden to go to a certain place in order to listen to Lashon Hora. But what about if you go to that group for a permissible purpose, and then all of a sudden the discussion turns into Lashon Hora. What do you do? So at first you should rebuke them. You should tell them to stop speaking Lashon Hora. Um, and this is true even if it's not going to be effective. Um, however, if by speaking, by rebuking them, they're going to double down on their Lashon Hora, that would be a significant issue. So you should not 
you should not spe- you should not rebuke them if it's just going to lead them to double down on their lashon hara. Um, so then, at that point, you should either leave the group or put fingers in your ears to show that how disgusted you are about listening to this lashon hara. What what happens then if you'd be ridiculed? If you'd be the brunt of all the jokes? That you know, can you believe this guy heard a little bit of lashon hara, then he put fingers in his ears, or he left the group just because of that? You know how how soft is he? So if you're really worried that you're going to get that kind of ridicule then you're able to do something, take some extra steps uh, to stop that. You're able to mentally prepare not to accept the Lush and Hora uh, as true. You shouldn't benefit from the Lush and Hora in any ways. And you also should not show that you enjoy the Lush and Hora by making, you know, by your body language and, and being really into it. You should just be totally deadpan and not excited about the Lush and Hora being spoken. Um, okay, um, so as I mentioned, you really should try to rebuke them. Um, but you shouldn't do it if they're going to double down on speaking Lashon Hora. And, um, and being a passive listener in a group of Lashon, you know, in, in a group that's speaking Lashon Hora is a terrible sin. Um, and you should try to rebuke them. But again, if they're going to double down, then, then, you know, you should leave, um, or you should plug your ears. Uh, and the Gemara in Brachot says that it's permitted to violate a, um, a mitzvah de Rabbanon, in order, you know, for, for kavod habrios, for human dignity. So basically, um, so in, it is an iser de Rabbanan, so it's an iser de Raisa to listen to Lashon Hora and believe it. But if you listen to Lashon Hora and don't believe it, it's an iser de Rabbanan. So for your own honor, you're able to violate that. If you're worried that you're going to be sort of the brunt of all the jokes by putting fingers in your ears, then you're able to not put fingers in your ears um, for kavod habrios. Um, okay, however, the Chavetz Chaim says, preferably, you should be willing to, you know, it's better to be thought of as a fool your entire life than a Russia, um, even for one moment. So it's better to, it's, it's better, actually, the Chavetz Chaim says, in truth, really, it's better to plug your ears or to leave the group, even if it's going to cause tremendous embarrassment. But if you're not able to stand that embarrassment, you have something to go on, as long as you don't believe the Lashon Hora and you don't seem excited by it. One interesting story I didn't mention the first time was the Chavetz Chaim apparently lost his hearing towards the end of his life and you had to really yell at him in order to hear him, in order to, to get people to hear him. So they, the, apparently there was some technology back when he lived, something like hearing aids that would have helped him listen, uh, be able to hear better. But he, he said, you know what, I don't want to get these hearing aids because it's better that people... Um, I don't hear the Lush and Hora that people are speaking around me. And, you know, if someone has to raise their voice to speak to me, they'll be more careful about, they'll be careful not to speak Lush and Hora. A lot of times Lush and Hora is spoken in a whisper. Um, so the Chavetz Chaim was excited that he lost his hearing, so he wouldn't be able to hear those whispers of Lush and Hora. Um, and there are two examples I spoke about where someone's supposed to stay away as much as they can. However, if there's no alternative, then as long as, you know, if you have to do it, then you can't benefit from it. So two examples. One was if you're walking, if there's, you know, um, a path that you have to walk by where, um, there's women doing laundry or a path where people are burning incense for a Vodazara. In either instance, if there's an alternate route, you have to take that alternate route. However, if there's no alternate route, you're able to go down that route, but you have to not take enjoyment. So, so too, if you're in the group, if you're, you know, if it's a choice not to join that group that speaks Lush and Hora, you should do that. However, if that's not a choice and you're stuck there, that's your only option is to be in that group, then you certainly shouldn't enjoy the Lush and Hora that's being spoken about. Um, you should also shouldn't flatter the sinners by making your body language show that you totally approve of all the Lashon Hora being spoken. Okay, so Halacha uh, Vav. So I said being in a group that speaks Lashon Hora is only permissible, um, you know, with certain qualifiers. As I said, it's only permissible if you, um, if you, you know, don't believe it and you don't show that you're excited to hear it. However, that the, all, those, all those instances where it's permissible is only true where it starts out innocently, but then that group eventually turns to Lush and Hora, and you're in a position it's very difficult to leave. However, if at the time you join the group, they're already speaking Lush and Hora, then you shouldn't even join the group. Or he says, if you know that this is a group that inevitably they always lead, it will always lead to Lush and Hora, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't join that group. Um, uh, okay. Then he says, 
God forbid a person should never intend to join a group in order, specifically in order to hear Lush and Hora. That would be similar to sort of walking by the path just to smell the nice smells of, of Avodah Zarah. I uh, shouldn't, certainly shouldn't do that. And you'd be recorded as a Baal Lush and Hora if you join groups that speak Lush and Hora all the time, even if you don't participate. If you just listen, you're still considered someone that continuously speaks Lush and Hora. Rabbi Eliezer says, Rabbi Eliezer the Great told his son uh, not to live in a certain city because then he'd associate himself with groups of people that are known to denigrate Jews. Um, and you shouldn't put yourself in a situation that will inevitably lead to sin. So you shouldn't inevitably, you know, join a group that inevitably will speak Lashon Hora or that is already speaking Lashon Hora, that would be a grave sin. Um, and the Gemara, he also says, if nothing's stopping you from leaving, you really should leave. So the Gemara in Ketubot says, if Jewish women are held captive by their non-Jewish captives, if they're released, the Jewish women have to immediately go back to their families. And if they choose to stay with their non-Jewish captives, then um, then that's a grave sin. And so too, that if you're with a group that starts speaking Lashon Hora and it's possible to leave, it's realistic to leave, then you also have to leave if it's an option. Um, okay, so moving to Alacha Zion, the Torah forbids uh, believing a story that you know the facts are true, but the facts could sort of be interpreted in many different ways, and the speaker chose to tell you these facts in an unfavorable way. So as I said, you know, you see someone driving on Shabbos, and the person that tells you this is implying, you know, this person must have must be someone that violates Shabbos. However, you should view it as, no, the real, really the reason they were driving is because they had a medical emergency. That's why they must have been driving. You could judge those same facts in a favorable way. Um, there's a story of Yeravam that um, he, Yeravam was told that the prophet Amos prophesized that uh, Yeravam would die by sword. And Yeravam, however, um, is counted among the righteous kings of Yehuda because he refused to believe that, that Amos would have prophesied that. Or even if Amos did prophesize that, it must have been a godly message. So because Yeravam uh, interpreted Amos's message in a positive way and didn't trash Amos for his prophecy that he would die by sword, then Yeravam is counted among the righteous kings of Yehuda. Okay, moving um, to a different story here where Doeg spoke Lashon Hora to Shaul HaMelech uh, when he told him that, you know, that he saw David go to the city of Nob and, um, and the Kohen Ahimelech helped him, helped David by giving him food, giving him Goliath's sword. Um, and uh, so Dog spoke, you know, true facts. They were absolutely true that David, that, that Ahimelech helped out David. However, um, he interpreted it in a negative way that basically the reason why uh, Ahimelech was helping out David is because he was trying to help Achim, uh, he was trying to help David sort of overthrow uh, Shaul's kingship. And um, even though that wasn't actually true, uh, Achimelech was just helping out a friend. He didn't. He didn't even know about this plot that Achi, That that he didn't know about the the conflict that David and Shaul had. So even though Dog spoke the truth, Dog's the paradigm of Baal and Hora, and Shaul is the paradigm of one that accepts Lashon Hora. Shaul should have heard those facts that Achimelech helped David and said, "Well, Achimelech probably didn't even know about the whole situation between us, and shouldn't have judged him so negatively." And terrible results happened because of this Lashon Hora. Basically, Doeg ends up killing all of the Kohanim that lived in Nob. So because Doeg, because Shaul judged David unfairly, because, sorry, because Shaul judged David and Achimelech unfairly, um, uh, because, and, and because in reality, Achimelech, while he did help David, he really was just trying to, you know, be nice to David. He, he didn't have any malintent. Um, and because because Shaul judged Achimelech unfavorably, then he's considered someone that listens and accepts Lashon Hora. Okay, um, moving to Halacha 8. So in Halacha Chet, it says, as the listener, you must judge a normal Jew favorably. Kova Chomer, you have to judge a Yurei Elohim extremely favorably. Um, an example of this he gives is after a person loses a case in Beitin, it's very oftentimes they'll go to one of their friends, lay out their argument to the friend, and say, Look at this, I'm innocent. Look at all the, these great arguments I have. So, in, and, and in fact, if a smarter person was on the court, if a better Chacham was on the court, they would have ruled with me. They would have agreed with me and ruled in my favor. So it's a terrible sin for this friend to agree 
with the with that person with the loser of the court and say you know what it must be because Baston isn't valid and it must be that you're really you were right and had you had a smarter person you're right you would have had the the right decision that's a terrible sin what you should do instead is you should say you know what maybe um you should you should tell your friend you know what maybe Baston was right maybe they had a good argument or maybe even if they didn't have a good argument maybe they you know there was a godly reason why they you were ruled against um, however, if it's clear, um, if it's clear to you that, you know, your friend got an unfair treatment in court, you should, um, you should go directly to Baston and, uh, ask them for clarification and either Baston will clarify why they said what they said, or sometimes Baston will even reverse. And if, if what, you know, if you give compelling reasons why they should reverse their, what they said, they are, you know, prone to be willing to reverse their decision, but you shouldn't certainly shouldn't. Um, uh, you know, trash the Talmidei Chachamim that are on the Beitin. Okay, moving to Halacha uh, Tet. So the ninth Halacha says, anything that's forbidden to speak is also forbidden to believe. So uh, this includes Lashon Hora about bad midos, sins, something bad about, you know, what that person's family did um, or what they did in their checkered past, etc., um, and I said, uh, very oftentimes a speaker will speak for a constructive purpose, but the listener won't listen for a constructive purpose and will accept it in a negative way. And they will be, um, over on the sin of believing Lash and Hora. So anything that is forbidden to say is also forbidden to believe. Uh, uh, that's a, a, you know, a very important principle. Okay. So halacha 10. So if a listener is not allowed to believe Lashon Hora, but you can suspect that it's true and you're able to take steps to protect yourself and protect other people from that Lashon Hora happening. However, you should not look, you know, you shouldn't insult and denigrate the person that you hear that Lashon Hora is about. You shouldn't denigrate the victim. Um, the Gemara in Nida says something interesting here that um, there's a mass grave of all those killed by Gedalia. However, Gedalia himself never killed anyone. In fact, he himself was killed. So why is he being blamed, seemingly, for killing these people that had to be buried in a mass grave? Because, um, the Chavetz Chaim explains, because Gedalia was told about the threat of his own assassination, and he didn't take steps to, you know, to, to protect himself. And because he didn't protect himself, he was ultimately assassinated. And then sort of his entire, everything crumbled around him. And basically so many people were killed as a result of Gedalia being killed that there had to be a mass grave. So in a way, Gedalia is a little bit at fault because Gedalia should have taken steps to protect himself. Had he protected himself, then um, he would have prevented sort of that mass murder that happened after he was killed. Um, so, you know, if you hear Lashon Hora about you, well, you shouldn't, certainly shouldn't, you know, have faith while you certainly shouldn't, you know, believe that it's true, it's it's not unreasonable to take steps to protect yourself in the instance that it may be true. So Gedalia is criticized for not doing that. Um, and a different story here, the men of Galil came to Rabbi Tarfon, and um, Rabbi Tarfon refused to hide these men because he's, there was a, a Lashon Hora out there, there was a suspicion that these men were um, were were murderers. And he told them, you know what, I'm not going to hide you, but you can hide yourself. So why did Rabbi Tarfon refuse to hide them? He refused to hide them because the Roman government would kill Rabbi Tarfon. So he was merely protecting himself by not hiding them. Um, so that's sort of proof you're able to protect yourself um, in, you know, in cases that uh, are, are questionable there. In cases that, you know, you're able to protect yourself, even if that Lashon Hora is not true, Rabbi Tarfon proved that he's able to protect himself um, because otherwise the Roman government would have killed him. Okay, so if a person follows the mitzvahs, then you're obligated to give them certain, you know, uh, privileges like returning their lost objects, save them from captors, etc. And simply hearing Lashon Hora about a person, um, that, you know, is not enough to disqualify them from getting those special privileges of returning their lost objects or save them from captors. An example of this is in Gittin. There was a man that sold himself to cannibals. And then once he sold himself to the cannibals, he realized, wait a minute, I don't want to be eaten. And he asked uh, Rabbi Amma to, to ransom him back. So Rabbi Amma would have ransomed him back 
However, um, and, and, and Rebbe Amma was told, you know, do you know that this guy that sold himself to the cannibals, that, um, that he ate treif? And Rebbe Amma says, you know what, whatever, he ate treif, but it was probably just his or hara that got to him. He was hungry. He had no choice. And I'm still going to ransom him back. However, like eating, uh, the, the, they, they came back to him and said, you know what? No, it was proven in court that he ate treif. Basically, they, he had a choice between eating kosher food and non-kosher food, and he specifically chose the non-kosher food defiantly. So then Rebbe Amma was not able to save him. So that would be an instance that it would basically, you sort of lose your privileges if you're proven in Bastin to, um, to, to be someone that, for example, defiantly eats non-kosher. But the, pr- the, the, the point here is, is that you're only allowed to believe, um, you know, you're, you're only allowed to believe Lush and Hora if it was proven. But if it wasn't proven, if it was something that might have just been sort of a, a mistake, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe he ate not, non-kosher food, but that's just because he was really hungry and the Yitzhar got the best of him. Rebbe Amma would have saved him in that instance if it wasn't for the fact he defiantly ate non-kosher um, in, in, in Bastin. Okay, so uh, also you're only allowed to believe Lush and Hora if for the same sin that was previously established. So for example, that person that defiantly ate non-kosher food, you're able to, if you hear that person, if you hear Lush and Hora that that person ate non-kosher again, you're able to assume that, yeah, he probably did eat non-kosher again. But the Chavez Chaim says, you're not able to assume a worse sin. So you're not able to assume, yeah, this person eats non-kosher. You're not able to assume that this person was an, also an idolater. Okay, then uh, the Chavetz Chaim says the concept of love your fellow like yourself means that just as you should take steps to protect yourself from Lashon Hora that you, you hear, so too you should take steps to, perfect, to protect others from Lashon Hora that you hear. Okay, moving to Halacha Aleph. Sorry, Yud Aleph, uh, the 11th halacha. So while you're able to suspect that Lashon Hora is true and protect yourself accordingly, that does not give you a license to proactively cause harm or humiliation to that person. So, and you're also not able to hurt, you know, hate that person privately in your heart. Um, and you're, you know, and you're also not allowed to free yourself from obligations you have to that person just because you hear Lashon Hora. So the example I gave, if you hear Lashon Hora, you're an employer, you hear Lashon Hora that one of your employees is stealing from you, you cannot withhold their wages if it's just Lashon Hora, if it's not proven true. There's a story of Reb Aron Rasky. He became an outcast because of Lashon Hora that was spoken against him, and the city refused to give him any aliyahs to the Torah. So the Maharik was very upset by the city, and he criticized the city for believing this Lashon Hora, and he says the city should beg for mercy. What they did is disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. They'll be, he'll be punished. Uh, the city will be punished um, for believing this Lashon Hora. Uh, he says Lashon Hora is even worse than adultery. Why is that? Because an adulterous person is strangled, but at least they keep their olam haba, as where someone that publicly embarrasses another person by, for example, refusing to give them any aliyahs, they would lose their chalik and olam haba. Um, and, uh, so as I said, you're able to have a suspicion, but that's not a license, a suspicion that Lashon Hora is true. It's not a license to do something against the victim. So I, as I spoke about that story with Rabbi Tarfon, where he suspected the murder, these people were murderers. And if he helped them, then the Roman government would kill Rabbi Tarfon. So you're able to sort of, um, take steps to protect yourself, like by not, you know, by, by being unwilling to, to actually proactively help them in, uh, in, in fighting hiding spots. However, um, this is a good example of an instance where Rabbi Tarfon, he didn't turn these men in. He could have turned them in to the Roman government. So because he didn't turn them in, that's proof that he didn't totally believe the Lashon Hora. You know, he, he suspected it was true and he took steps to protect himself because he didn't actively hide, you know, he didn't actively hide them. Um, however, the commentaries say if there was not this threat against him, that, sorry, if there's, you know, if the, if the Roman government didn't threaten anyone that, um, helped murderers, um, if, you know, they were, if, if, uh, Rabbi Tarfon didn't have, wasn't threatened by the Roman government, Rabbi Tarfon actually would have helped these murderers find a hiding spot. However, because the Roman government threatened him, Rabbi Tarfon took steps to protect himself by not actively helping them hide themselves. They're not actively helping them, these guys find hiding spots, but Rabbi Tarfon also didn't turn them in because, um, 
because he w- he refused to believe this slash and hora that they were murderers. Okay, so doer of many sins, the Chavitz Chaim says, even if Lashon Hora is true, very often times the halacha is more makel than our own personal vengeance. So very often times we hear Lashon Hora and we're so disgusted by it that we do much, much worse things uh, to that person than the halacha, um, than even if it was true, than the halacha would permit. So if you see your enemy's donking, donkey struggling under a load, you have to help that donkey. And the Gemara in Pesachim talks about that and says, it's, you know, if you're, that person is considered your enemy because you yourself hate him. Um, because, and, and the Chavetz Chaim explains that only you saw the immoral act. So you yourself are able to, um, to, you know, call that person your enemy, but the rest of the community is not able, is not, should should not believe you, um, and should not hate, should not be able to hate that person in their heart and should not be able to call that person their enemy. Um, uh, an example, an interesting example, um, of this concept is if someone says a poor person, um, you know, that, that gets Sadaka from the city actually really isn't that poor. He just says he's poor in order to get Sadaka. So if people believe that and stop giving that person Sadaka, then everybody that stopped giving that person Sadaka tre- tremendously sinned, um, because they believed that Lush and Hora without proof. And the Gemara in Bava Batra says, that if someone says that they're poor and they need sadaka, you should first give them money and then investigate later whether they're poor or not. Um, so if it's this is a, this is in this instance, this was an established person that actually was poor in the city. Everyone agreed that he was poor. So simply by believing someone that you know out of the blue that says he's not poor, just simply by believing that lush and hora is a terrible sin. The Gemara in Mishlei says by stopping support to a poor person, you're considered a thief. Um, so, so, um, you know, this is a great instance where you, while you can take steps to protect yourself, you, you're allowed to investigate whether it's actually true, this claim that this person isn't really poor. In the meantime, you're certainly not allowed to stop giving him tzedakah. Okay, the last halacha. If you wrongly believe Lush and Hora, then you're able to retroactively sort of not believe it and do teshuva. Um, uh, an example of this is a single witness, um, saw a saw a woman you know, saw a woman commit adultery and told um and and told the husband you know this this person committed adult committed adultery so at first the man believed him and divorced from his wife however then he had a change of heart and because he had a change of heart that the, the change of heart basically was he no longer believed this witness that that uh, that that claims that he saw his wife committing adultery so he was able to do tshuva and remarry. He was able to, the, the husband was able to do tshuva um, and basically no longer believe this, no longer believe this witness and then was able to remarry his wife. However, if you told someone uh, this lush and horror that you believed, then you have to go ask for, for, ask for forgiveness from the victim. And on top of that, you have to convince um, everyone that you told the lush and horror to, you have to tell them, you know what, everything I said to you, uh, don't believe it anymore. And anyone that they spread it to, you have to go to them and ask them not to believe it anymore. Um, so, you know, if you believe Lush and Hora, and you shouldn't believe Lush and Hora, obviously, but if you do believe it, you can uh, retract that sin by doing Teshuvah. However, if you tell people about it, then you have to uh, go to those people that you told and ask for, for and, and, and try to convince them not to, not to believe what you said. Okay, to read the poem. If you hear Lush and Hora, it's best to get up and leave. If it is forbidden to stay, it is, it is for, what is forbidden to say, it is also forbidden to believe. If Lush and Hora is relevant, suspecting it is smart, but that is not a license to harbor hatred in your heart. And with that, uh, L'chaim L'chaim, and this has been the conclusion of Klal Vav, uh, Halacha He through uh, Halacha Yudbet.